this morning we have a problem talking about a very difficult verse. Talking about probably the most misunderstood verse and passage in the Bible. Welcome to church. I have a sentence for you, so if Sly Guys, uh, Kyle, if you can pop that up on the screen for me real fast. I have a sentence to show you why it's one of the most confusing and misunderstood passages of Scripture. So let's go. This will be fun. This is like a free grammar lesson. You didn't even know you were signing up for it. So the judge judged the bananas while being judged for wearing his judge's robes to Whole Foods, which he judged, judged, the judge judged to be judgmental. See the problem? It's the word judge. There's a lot of different ways you can use it. So this is a little bit of levity here to illustrate the problem of the word judge because there's a lot of confusion. So let's go through this line by line. The judge... So obviously that's a title. It's fine. We understand who a judge is, a person who wears judges' robes. He judged the bananas. It's a discernment of preference. That's perfectly fine, unless, of course, you think it's one or seven, in which case you're crazy, and five is the proper thing, and you can fight me on that after church. That's the correct preference for bananas. But that's a preference judgment. That's fine, right? It's not a problem. The next line, again, his title shows up, but we've got something new. We've got judgment based on appearances, right? He's wearing certain clothes, and people are like, mm, that's, what is that guy doing? He's like a little, little bit, maybe, uh, uh, he's off kilter. Like, what is going on with him? He's acting weird. There's something wrong. Like, we're judging based on the appearances of someone, which is bad. And then again, we have his title show up. And then he's at a grocery store, and then his title shows up again. But then he's now making an assessment of what they're doing to him, and that's actually good. He's saying that they're doing something they shouldn't be doing towards him. And that thing is being judgmental, which is wrong. It's clearly a bad thing, judging someone based on their characteristics, things that are true about them on the outside, or maybe the way they speak, other things like that. That's a bad thing. We're all against that. So you see, I've just kind of opened up the can of worms uh, that that we need to open up before we can even really open up the Bible this morning. We've got a problem, and the problem is really on that third line, that last use of judge. It, It is a question of moral judgment, and that can get problematic because as Christians, we have a standard. It's called the Word of God. We judge ourselves based on the Word of God. The world does not share that standard. And so things start to get kind of complicated really fast. So we've got biblical judgment. And I put that in quotes because I think this word is very loaded. And I'm talking about a very narrow and specific meaning of the word judge. We have the standard. The standard is the Bible. We look to the word of God, as 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13 says, it's not the words of man, it's the word of God. We hold up scripture as the standard for for our life, and we set ourselves up against that. And we find, as we talked about last week, that the, well actually, sorry, just to compare, outside of the church, it's kind of a free-for-all right? Like we can observe that just as we look around. The standard is actually individual people. And there's a little bit of, of ambiguity on what exactly is correct. And so we've kind of already got off to a, a little bit of a disconnect, but it gets more complicated. So it gets more complicated because last week we talked about how value and worth as a Christian, it's fixed. It comes to us from Christ. It's something from God that we objectively receive 
It's something that's found in our identity in Christ. We just sang about those ideas. We've talked about them as Chris went through the Identity Crisis series. And it's love that we receive. It's received from the Father, and it's given to us. It's fixed. It's stable. Something we can rejoice in, that we've found that. In the world, though, we don't see that. It's different. It's actually based on your characteristics and your choices and your preferences. It's variable, and it actually needs people outside of it to come in and affirm what's going on. So do you see the problem that's about to happen? Right? For Christians, we can use the word judgment as going, hey, I'm here, and the word of God is here. There's a disconnect. And I want to bring myself in line with the standard. Like, I'm looking at my life and my behaviors, and it's not right. Objectively, it's not right, and so I want to move myself over here. And so you can judge yourself, and you can be like, "Mm, that's not quite right. I need to be over here. And through the, the grace and mercy of God and through his Holy Spirit, we can change. And that's a really great thing. We become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. And now, here's the final shoe to drop, right? Like, the world's going, no, no, you never do this. And the reason why you never do it is it's actually a direct assault on value and worth. Right? Like, do you see the confusion that's starting to happen here? And so it's none of your business. Like, you're actually attacking the character and core of me. And so now we've just basically opened up a can of worms. So we're actually ready to read God's word. (laughs) You're like, what did I get myself into? Um, Go ahead and open up your Bible. We're now ready to read the text. I know you're like, no, we're not. Yes, this is helpful. It'll help in a minute, I promise. Open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. Verse 1 through 6 is what we're going to be reading. And once you have that, join me in standing. We're going to read the word of God together. All right. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log's in your eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's pray. God, as we come to a often quoted, often misunderstood passage of Scripture, I pray that you'd grant us clarity. Pray that you would allow us to look in the mirror and see ourselves. Through the mirror of your word, I pray that you would grant us your grace and your humility just to, to consider where we're at right now. Pray that you would give me the right words in your son's name. Amen. You can be seated. So as you sit down, we've got the first problem that comes up here. The first problem is, can we judge? It's kind of a problematic question to answer. I think my introduction cleared that up. It's a little bit more confusing than you might think it is. And the answer is, maybe. Like, maybe you can judge. Kind of depends upon what meaning of judgment we're talking about here. And so it gets kind of sticky. It's not specifically forbidden. Look back at verses 1 and 2. It says, do not judge, but it's not a just period right there. It says, so that you won't be judged. And there's these three parallel things in verse 1 and 2. And then it continues in verse 2, the second part of it. For in the way you judge, it's gonna, you're going to be judged. And by your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you. So there's this kind of symmetry between these two, three things. Then the gist of it is slow down. 
right? Like, have you ever been teaching someone how to do something, and they're doing it wrong, and you're like, stop, right? That's, that is the, the driving force of what's going on here. And we know that based on the context. Look a little bit further down the text in chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. 15 says, beware of false prophets. What do they do? They come in sheep's clothing, and inwardly they're ravenous wolves. But you will know them by their fruits. And then he continues on in verse 21, or 20, and he says, you will know them by their fruits. Like, you will discern characteristics about them, and you'll be like, hmm, that's not right. And so there's this nuance and sense in which maybe you can. We also want to, to mentally turn over to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to reference that a lot. Probably don't have time to go there. But Matthew 18 relates to this as well, verses 15 through 20. It's a very famous passage on how we interpersonal, one-on-one, we deal with issues between each other as Christians. It's a very unique approach that the Lord gives us on how to deal with conflict. And it seems like you can make an assessment of what's going on with someone else, and in the correct way, you can go to them. That's fine. And so it's not necessarily forbidden. Judgmentalism is wrong. Let's get that out out in the open. But there are ways you can approach one another and compare yourselves to the Word of God. Judging also occurs in different settings. So the next thing we want to look at is that throughout the book of Matthew, judgment comes up in a bunch of different ways. It comes up in Matthew 5 and then also in Matthew 27. It comes up in a legal setting, kind of jokingly referred to that with the judge in the opening sentence. But obviously we understand that context. The Bible has important things to say about the courtroom setting. This passage isn't one of them. But the Bible has important things to say about that. And then again, the close relationship of this passage to Matthew 18 is really important. There is this one-on-one talking to someone connection between the two of them that we see in verses 3 through 5 in our passage that's also in Matthew 18. So judgment is a coming up to someone else or coming to yourself and going, something's not quite right here. It's an assessment of the situation. And so, it is, verses 1 through 6, our passage this morning, it's best understood, I'm going to change my verbiage and how I'm talking. I'm going to stop saying judgment as much, and I'm going to start saying removing a speck, because I think that's a lot less, uh, uh, less complicated, right? Like, when I say removing a speck from someone else's eye, you're kind of like, okay, so you're helping the person, And that's an important connection. That's what we want to think about this morning. We don't want to think about judgmentalism. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the act of Christian charity, of going, hey, this doesn't seem quite right. Would you mind if I come alongside of you and help you? And so that's where we're headed this morning. So instead of asking the question that we might be tempted to ask this morning, how and when should I judge? We're actually going to ask the question, how and when should I help someone else with a speck in their eye? That's the the question for this morning, and I think this passage gives us a great answer to that question. It's very helpful. It's going to help you look at yourself and then know how to help other people when they need help. So, how do you do that? When there is the right time, and we'll talk about when there's not, so hold that thought. When it is the right time, the first thing you got to do is be careful. That's the driving force of verses 1 and 2 in chapter 7, is slow down. Don't rush into this. Don't, don't jump into things. Be, first of all, self-aware. Like, be aware of where you're at right now. Like, don't just be the first person to say something just because you could. That's not going to be helpful to the situation. I think we all intrinsically, like, we know that. So we need to think about the original audience here for a moment. 
Let's think about the original audience, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching. He, he's talking to these people in verse 20 of chapter 5. What does he say to them? He says, your righteousness, it needs to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. So in their mind, they're self-aware, but they're wrong, right? Like they're way off. They think, hey, we're righteous. We're satisfying God's holy law. And the scribes and Pharisees are doing even better than us. Look at them. They're awesome. We're awesome. And Jesus is like, so in case, verse 21 of chapter 5, all the way to chapter 7, in case you've somehow thought, I'm not talking to you, original audience. I'm talking to you. It's a throwing the brakes on the whole thing where they're all going, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus, that's totally true of them over there. Jesus is like, no, I'm talking to you and you and you. Understand, be self-aware, see what's going on with yourself. Really, what they failed at was the fifth beatitude, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. They were being ruthless towards one another. And Jesus is like, stop it all. If you can't show mercy to one another, there's no point. So this verse is a check for us, right? I I developed a very uh, crude uh, diagnostic to be Um, self-aware. This is probably the product of multiple things that I've read over the years. But I think the first thing, just looking at this text and some of the words that are in it, we can fall off on two sides. We can first start to make errors where we jump in too fast, right? Like you see a situation and you're like, I'm on it. I'm going to say something too fast, and you come in, and you don't follow the instruction of James 1.19, right? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. There is a slowness that we need to, to be like, okay, I don't know the full picture yet. We need to slow down a little bit. On the other side of it, though, we can also make a mistake. We can never say something. Have you ever had someone be like, why didn't you say something? <laughs> right? Like those moments where people are just kind of like, you could have said something to me. And you're like, yeah, I probably should have, right? Like Proverbs 28, 23 says, rebuke is better than flattery of the tongue. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's totally not, right? We've all had those moments. And I think on the other side of it, too, we have the measure. Verse 1 and 2 talks about the measure that we use. We can be really harsh, right? Have you been there? We just like, just, just teeth out, like just nasty. And, and, and you jump on people and Proverbs 15, one, right? Like a harsh word. What's it do? It stirs up anger. <laughs> We've all lived that, right? Like just jumping straight in and being like, Hey, I see something about you. Let me tell you about it. It doesn't usually go very well. And on the other side, we can kind of wink and nod at sin. We can be like, Oh yeah, sure. Go ahead and keep doing that. No problem. That's fine. Uh, that's not good either. Matthew 18, again, the context of very similar instruction in verse, uh, verse 6. He, he's talking, Jesus is saying, like, it'd be better if you had a millstone tied around your neck than if you caused someone else to sin. Causing someone else to sin and being okay with sin, it's not a good thing. So we do need to say something, but we need to be self-aware. And all throughout the course of the day, we're landing in different spots on the scale, we're, we're jumping in too fast, and then sometimes we're not saying things. And we need to be self-aware of where we're at. It's very hard, right? All throughout the day, I think one of the important checks as we're thinking about that is using the Word of God, right? As we, we read it and we bring it into our lives throughout the day, we start to see, hey, here's where I'm falling off, because we just start to get a picture of God. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we get a clear picture of Him, and then we compare ourselves to the standard of Him. So uh, this is not a, like, hey, beat yourself up. 
Look how bad you are. It's just a reminder that's very easy to be like, oh, I'm going to go say something. I can say something. Ooh, that sounds fun. And we do it the wrong way, and it's not helpful. The, the way we can be helpful is we can be God-aware. I think that's the driving force of verses 1 and 2. He's going, don't be judged so that you will not be judged. Who's the judge in this situation? It's God. God is there watching what's going on, and he's taking notes. Right? Like the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful. What's going to happen? They shall receive mercy. And so Jesus is going, be aware the way that you interact with other people. That's going to be relevant. God is paying attention to that. That's not something that we should take lightly. We need to be aware of the character qualities of God. And so going back to that scale, we see God being appropriately slow. God frequently describes himself as being very slow. That's good news, isn't it? Right? Numbers 14 Verse 18 says, The Lord is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's forgiving iniquity and transgression. He will by no means clear the guilty. Jonah 4 2. Uh, Andrew spent some time in Jonah. Jonah obviously has great theology, but a rotten heart, right? Like he has good theology. He gets, he says, through his own lips, he says he prays in verse 2 of chapter 4 in Jonah, O oh Lord, so this is what I told you when I was yet in my country. This is why I made haste to go to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And it continues on, right? Like we think about throughout the Bible, Psalm 50, verse 21. All of these different things that Israel is doing wrong, and God in verse 21 is like, these things you have done and I have been silent and you thought I was just like you. Like, I was just kind of sitting there, just saying nothing. But he's like, now I lay the rebuke, and I, I rebuke you, and I lay the charge before you. And James 1.19, which I quoted earlier, turns this principle back on, our, on us. Right? It, it says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We've got to be appropriately slow. And I put the word appropriately in there because there's times that are probably not within the view of our conversation where you might need to do something immediately. I think you understand that, right? Like there's times where you might need to physically intervene. You might need some sort of authorities involved in the situation. I'm not talking about that. That's why the word appropriately is there. But I think when we're dealing with one another and there's some sort of issue when we want to bring something to someone, we need to slow down. And that's the driving force of verses one and two here. God describes himself as merciful too. Psalm 145 verse eight. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's a good picture of who God is, right? That's how he deals with us. We're going to talk more about that in a couple minutes. But it's good to realize that God's really merciful towards us. It's helpful to think about Matthew 18 multiple times, but on the, the back end of verses 15 through 20 in Matthew 18, same subject, he tells the parable of the unforgiving servant. Do you remember that parable? It's this guy who gets forgiven this astronomical sum of money. And then he goes out and he, he, he strangles someone and just, just tries to get chump change out of the guy. And the first guy hears about it. And, and he, what does he say? It's a picture of God and us. But it says, you should have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you. So it's Jesus going, look how much mercy I've given you. Now turn that back around and show that to other people when you're dealing with them. Be kind. 
be tender. It's really hard, right? Like, isn't this challenging? It's super challenging. All throughout the day, it's a challenge to remember how merciful God has been to us. And yet, by his grace, we can remember that. The, the goal is to be a helpful speck remover, right? Like, it's, the goal is to be helpful to somebody. It's following in the pattern of the true judge. We are not the ultimate judge. I think we know that. That's actually the primary usage of the word judge in the book of Matthew is about God's judgment. That's not you or I. That is not our purpose. Our purpose is try, try to help someone else. And if you're not in the right spot before you try to help someone, it's not going to go well. I think we all know that. The prime example of this is uh, after you've like, been reading the Bible or you hear a sermon, you're like, oh, that was a great sermon. Or, oh, wow, this is a great verse. And, and where do we drift? We drift towards like, oh, someone over there, they really need to hear it. I didn't point towards any of you, just to be clear. But right, like our mind drifts, and, it, it, and God's like, well, no, actually, before you get there, you need to look at yourself. You need to realize what mercy I've shown you. You need to realize where you're at. Right, the spirit of wanting to just jump to judgment. Isn't that just rampant in our culture? Like, think about it. It, it's, it is the primary means of communication in social media. If you're not on social media, I'll talk to you in a minute. But for the rest of us who are, uh, it is just, it is this commodity that's a part of our existence, right? Like, it's like, hey, here's, here's a statement. Make a quick judgment about it. Just judge me on this. And just constant opportunities to make snap judgments that are not merciful and not kind, Right? Like, it, it just, it, it's an opportunity to fall in the wrong spot. I'm not saying you can't do it, but it's exceptionally dangerous. And, and you might say, well, I'm just not doing that. Well, you know, like, just think about the news cycle. The whole news cycle is designed for exactly the same purpose. It's designed to, to solicit judgment from you and be like, hey, make some hasty judgments. Make some harsh judgments about what's going on. Judge this group of people over here in broad brush strokes. Go ahead. Go for it. And this passage calls us to be appropriately slow. Go, well, hold on. What's going on in this situation? What's going on here? And I need to show mercy to these people. Maybe I don't fully understand. Maybe I need to back off just a little bit. We need to be careful to start spiritual reform in our own heart. It has to start here before it can ever go to another person. We've got to look in the mirror my wife and I often kind of sit around and joke and we're like, it's ironic that there is just so much judgment in a society that claims to not be judgmental. Like, just try to hold an opinion that is outside of the cultural moment. I dare you. Right? It's just like, oh, man. Like, it's, it's everywhere around us and it's not constructive and helpful. Being merciful and slow like God is helpful. Seeing God's spirit move and work, that's true help. As Christians, we have real, genuine hope. So as we think about this, let's think about the phrase being helpful, because I think that's the driving force of verses 3 through 5, looking back at our passage again, right? It's this idea of pulling a speck out of someone's eye. Obviously, the, the picture of a log being in your eye is somewhat comedic, right? Like nobody's ever had a log in their eye. I, don't think that I'm aware of. I googled it just for fun to see like Google images, what it would come up with, and it was all like cartoons. So I don't think anyone has ever successfully gotten the log in their eye, which is really good news. Um, but it's a comedic picture. Like Jesus is kind of using a little bit of humor here. What's he trying to portray, though? He's trying to portray hypocrisy. 
I think this is a phrase we throw around a lot. And he's really trying to say, hey, take the log out of your eye. Like, you've got to look at yourself, examine yourself, and see what's going on with yourself. And a hypocrite, what do they do? They fail to see their own sinfulness first. They fail to see that they're guilty, in sometimes very dramatic ways, of the very thing that they judge other people for. Right? And, and I have, a, you know, of course, uh, just a rather humorous perspective on hypocrisy. Like, how many of the people that you've met over the years are hypocrites? What do you think? I'm going for like 100% personally. That's my opinion. Everybody I've met, including myself, we have points in our lives where you're like, oh yeah, that's pretty hypocritical. Christians, though, are different in the way we deal with it. So to be clear, there's lots of different situations. And if you're not convinced that everybody is, let's just do a little mental exercise. Let's think for a moment. There's the easy stuff, right? Like there's the stuff where you're like, oh yeah, I do that. So easy stuff. Those are the things that you pray about frequently. Right? Like the things that come up in your prayers on a normal basis where you're like confessing those things. Those are somewhat easy to see. Right? Like maybe those are patterns of speech. Maybe integrity or lying. Maybe they're life-dominating sins like different sexual sins or addictions. Different things that kind of keep popping themselves up. And so those are kind of on the surface. Those are kind of easy to see. But going a bit deeper, we start to realize that we have a lot more sin than we think we do. Right? Like, we bear a lot more in common with the person we're trying to help than we'd like to admit. A, a great resource I've recommended this many times is Jerry Bridges' Respectable Sins. Um, I haven't read it in a couple of years, but this is just the table of contents. Just listen to how like, difficult this is to even read. He starts off, the first chapter is on worry and anxiety, like what we talked about last week. Then he talks about discontentment, unthankfulness, pride selfishness, impatience and irritability, anger, judgmentalism, the very thing we're talking about some this morning, envy, jealousy, worldliness, right? Like, and he keeps going. You start to hear some of those and you're like, oh yeah, I totally judge people on that. And then over here I'm doing this. And you're like, that's kind of the same thing. You're like, oh, that's not good. But the good news of this passage is that the log can come out of your eye. Do you see that? Like, that should shock you. Jesus is going, you can actually pull it out. And that's the hope of the gospel, right? Like, are you amazed that you can actually pull the log out? It should surprise you that there's forgiveness, that there's grace, that there's a hope that when you do something wrong, and that when you are a hypocrite, there is mercy to be found. That's really good news. There's mercy to be found at the foot of Christ, at the cross. And so it's very helpful to see that, that the holy God, who, who should stand there and judge you, he's offering you forgiveness and mercy. He's offering you the ability to, to be forgiven. That's huge, right? Like first, verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye. There is the offer to remove that and we're going to, in a few minutes, we're going to spend a few minutes celebrating communion and thinking more deeply about that. But for the moment, like as we grow in Christ, we need to be reminded, if we are in God's kingdom, that we're continually growing. Right? There's a continual growth process. So there's an acknowledgement of, yeah, I haven't done everything perfectly this week. And by God's grace, next week, his Holy Spirit's going to continue to work on me. And even throughout the day today, he's going to continue to work on me. And I'm going to look more and more like the image of his son. Slowly but surely, God is working on me. 
And so, yes, I can confess the things that I did in the past. I can find forgiveness and grace, and I can move forward and find great hope. There's a, there's a lifestyle of repentance, and it includes going to other people, right? Like it includes Matthew 18, going to one another and confessing our sins to one another. It's a beautiful thing. It's really important to realize that, that there's hope, there's a removal of what's going on in, in our eyes, and that we can genuinely help one another. Um, have you ever um, spent time in prayer... And as you did that, you started to remember things that you did wrong throughout the day or throughout the week, and you began to confess that to the Lord. And then you went later that day and you talked to someone. Was there a difference in like the texture and the feel of your conversation when you talked to that person? Like, I bet there was, right? Like, there's something that happens when we humble ourselves before God, we see our own sinfulness, and we find mercy at the cross, it changes, it changes the way we handle one another. There's really great hope in pulling the log out of our eye and then being real hope to one another. And we need to do it in love. Isn't that important? Right? Like you, you think about the activity of pulling a speck, a little, little fleck of something, inside of someone's eye, pulling it out of their eye. Like Remember, this is the land before mirrors in the bathroom. Land before selfie cameras. Right? Like, if you had something stuck in your eye, you legitimately needed some help. And you needed someone to be like, hey, let me clean my hand off and let me help you. Right? Like, it was a genuine act of compassion. Have you ever gotten something lodged in your eye? Right? Like, it's extremely uncomfortable. It's an irritant. And this is, this is an act of charity and love. And I love this. In verse 3, Jesus asked the million-dollar question, it's one word, it's the beginning of the sentence, and it's why. <laughs> why are you going to this person? That's the question, right? Like, if you're not doing it in love, you need to slow down and re-examine, right? Like, have you ever had someone come to you, and it's, like, very evident they're not doing it in love? Oof. This is not a pleasant conversation, right? Like, you, you just know it. Like, there's something, like, people can tell what your motive is. We're all very bad at hiding our motives. If your motive isn't love to help someone, you probably aren't going to be helpful. And that's a great reminder, the why question. People can size that up. We need to remember, like, we're actually not the final judge here. God is. So our purpose is not to cast judgment. Our purpose is to help our brother or sister or this person with what's going on. Our goal is to be helpful, not to act as the final judge. God is the person who's most offended in this whole equation. God is the person who made you and that other person, and he's going, this isn't right. He's the person most offended. Your goal is to be helpful in the whole situation. I think it's helpful to realize that we're trying to be gracious and gentle towards one another. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. We probably don't have time to go there this morning. But it's a great reminder. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So if you're going to someone about an issue, there's a, there's a texture of love, gentleness, compassion that should be marking that conversation and the way you approach that person. So at this point, you've probably gotten wise enough to realize I underlined the word is. It says when it is 
the time to remove a spec, implying there's not a time to go. And you're right, there is. And so before we get into that, I want to read to you uh, one of the more humorous proverbs that I just love. It's Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. They're right next to each other, and it's just kind of funny. You're like, you have a dark sense of humor. But Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5, it says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So don't say something to a fool. Don't stoop to his level. Next verse says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So you better say something to him, or else he's going to think he's right. And you're like, which one is it? And the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes, right? Like, and it's kind of the same problem that we have this morning, right? Like, when's the right time to go? It, there's kind of this subjective... You have to kind of read the room. And I'll give you some ideas of maybe some hints, but there's just there's an element of wisdom here in going, you know what, maybe now's not the right time. You know, you've kind of read the room before and you're like, mm, later. And so when we think about it not being the right time, verse 6 comes in. So let's reread verse 6. Nick uh, Harris is preaching in like a week or two, and we were bartering back and forth on verse 6 because it's very confusing. But I do think it relates to our passage this morning, so I'm happy to discuss it. But it is confusing. Let's reread it because it's weird. Do not give to... Give what is holy to dogs. Remember, dogs were not viewed positively in that society. So, just a reminder. Do not throw your pearls before swine. Also, didn't like pigs. Swine were unclean. So, just a reminder. Two bad animals in their mind. Or, what will they do? They'll trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. <laughs> right? I think this verse acts as a little bit of a warning or a caution. Right? Like, just a reminder, if you, if you do come to that person, um, you know, like, be aware, maybe there's a time to not say something, too. And I think it's helpful to realize that sometimes it's just not the right time. Right? Like, some, sometimes it's, it's not a good idea to go ahead and, and say something to someone. I, I think of uh, little children. Little children and splinters. Somehow they always manage to get them. And Andrew's got a great story, so I won't share it. But when you're trying to help a kid with a splinter, what do they do? They kick and scream like crazy. And you're like, I'm trying to help you. I promise I am. Like, we should expect a little bit of resistance, right? When we're trying to help people, do I, do I always receive, uh, you know, constructive criticism well? No, not always, right? And we don't all either. So let's just get that out in the open. There's a little bit of resistance, but it's kind of like when you're helping a kid. You're like, honestly, the infection you're going to get from this is going to be a lot worse. Like, just, this is going to be 30 seconds. Like, we're going to take care of this. This is going to be taken care of. Right, And so there is a little bit of resistance, but when there's a pattern of resistance, I think that's when we start getting to stop and wait. And that's the driving force of this verse, going like, use some discernment. There might be some situations where people just aren't having it. They don't want to hear it. They're like, nope, 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 nope. And that's consistent over time. And so that might be your time to be like, not right now. Just slow down. It's not saying you can't do anything, but it's just going... Maybe you need to wait a little bit. And in your waiting, what you need to do is you need to be praying. God, work in this person's heart. Work in this situation. And, and when you do, God, I expect you to do that. And when you do, I pray that I'll be ready. Right, God? I'll be ready to go. And when I see the right moment, I will be there to be a help. Like I'll be careful and I'll be helpful. 
I'm there. I'm on it. But sometimes we do need to stop and wait. And when you're stopping and waiting, you need to wait loglessly. I know that's not a word. I'm aware of that. But we need to make sure that logs don't get back into our eye on the situation. Right? If there's an issue that you're seeing and you're going, "Mm, not right now. The time is not right now. We need to remind ourselves that we, should, we might be the offended party, but we need to be adopting an attitude of forgiveness. We need not, not harbor resentment about the situation because it's taken time. Because guess what? Like, there's been stuff in your life and in my life where it's taken me time, right? And I'm really glad some people were patient with me. And I'm sure this person would be very grateful that you were being patient with them So we need to wait patiently, and that can be really hard. We also need to remember that we we shouldn't add the period of time and create resentment during that period of time, like as we're waiting. We need to not resent this person. We we need to be gentle and, and, and careful and merciful. We also need to be vigilant to guard against gossip, right? If you decided now's not the time, to go to this person because they're not receiving it, now would not be a good time to go tell like 10 or 20 people. I think we all instinctively know that, but the temptation's always there. It's very dangerous, right? When you see something, you need to keep that between you and God if you're going not right now. And we need to follow the Matthew 18 pattern, and that's a great sermon, but that's another day. But I think this morning, hopefully we can paint the picture though, right? So can we help someone remove a speck from their eye? And the answer is, yeah, yeah, you could. Like, if you did it carefully, if you were aware of yourself, if you were aware of God, if you were helpful, right? Like, you had the log taken out of your eye, you weren't being hypocritical, and you were acting in love, yeah, I think you could. But there's situations where you might want to not do it right now. I think that, that gets us to the point where we've successfully covered the passage this morning, and we're going to shift gears into communion. And so if you are a Christian and you'd like to join us in the Lord's table, I'm going to give you permission, if you haven't already grabbed the communion elements, to go ahead and they are by the main doors, or if you're outside, you can come on in. And if you'd like to join us in the Lord's table, we're going to be doing that in just a moment. While everyone's getting situated, if you've already got that, uh, please hold on for just a moment. But for those of us who are not participating, there's many different reasons to not participate, and that's fine. We're really glad you joined us here this morning. I'll talk for a few more minutes, and we'll have some music, and then we'll be out in just a few minutes. But this is a great opportunity for us to remind ourselves that the hope that people who are hypocritical have, we have mercy that can be found in Christ. It's really good news. So now that everyone's here, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to approach the first part of communion, the bread. We're not going to take it just yet. But for about two or three minutes, let's spend a few minutes considering the Jesus' call in this passage to, to pull out the log from our eyes, to spend a few minutes in silent confession, and then I'll bring us back together in prayer. God, as we come to you this morning, we come with a sense of relief. Come with a sense of relief that our sins could be forgiven. That they are. That's good news, God. I pray even as we think about our day, even this morning. It's all kinds of different moments in our day as we think 
we examine the attitudes of our heart, the words that come out of our mouth, and we need your grace. And thank you that we can find it at the cross. Thank you for that. Thank you for the hope that that we have that someday we'll be with you again. Pray as we remind ourselves yet again through the act of communion that we would anticipate the day we are together again with you. Your son's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13, or sorry, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as you take the bread, rejoice in the body of Christ broken for you. Pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, we praise you that your name is beautiful. We praise you that we can approach you in prayer. We're filled with gratitude that you would hear us. We're we're thankful for the many ways that you've been kind to us. You are a good Father. And we pray that you would be our greatest treasure. As you said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that, that you would work in the hearts and lives of those around us and primarily in our heart. Thank you for the way that your kingdom is coming. It is sure. It is certain. We rejoice in that. We look forward to that. We pray that we would desire the same things you desire. We pray that as your spirit works, we would begin to see a glimpse of, of what is to come. We would see the, the, the good work that you were up to, and we anticipate what is to come with you. And God, give us this, this day our daily bread. God, we ask for literal provision. We know that all things come from your hand. All the different things in our life, even down to the food and all the things we talked about last week. God, we receive that from you. You are good. You provide. You love us. You care for us. Remember, it's all from you. And as we've just taken the bread, we rejoice in the body of Christ that was broken for our sins. You paid the ultimate penalty, Christ, and we praise you for that. We rejoice in that. We look to the cross. We look to Jesus, the true bread of life. And in him, we find all of our sustenance. God, heavenly provision may come or go, but we find our satisfaction in you. We taste and see that you're good. God, thank you for the great reminder of your son's sacrifice on the cross through the bread. Thank you for your body that was broken for us. Your son's name we pray. Amen. Continuing on, in the same way, he also took the cup. And after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant of my, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as you take the cup, rejoice in the blood of Christ that was spilled for you. Pray with me again. God, as you continue nod in your instructions on how to pray, you said, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. God, thank you that your death is sufficient to pay the penalty for our sin, and we can ask for forgiveness. Thank you for the blood of Christ that was spilled as we just remembered it so that we could find forgiveness. Oh, that is good, God. Give us joy in that. 
And help us to be forgiving towards one another. Give us grace as we deal with one another, as we're merciful towards one another, as we're slow towards one another. And he said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, keep our eyes clear of beams. Help us to be humble. Keep us away from sin. May we see that it is a hindrance to the act of Christian charity and love towards one another. I pray that you would grant us protection from sin, that we would say no to it because of the new desires that our new heart has in you, that we would desire righteousness, we would hunger and thirst for it, and we would be satisfied. God, we we anticipate the day where that will be fully satisfied, but thank you for the way that we can obey you, and thank you for your grace in delivering us from evil. Drive us closer into love for one another. Give us a clearer vision of you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.